Yay, season three! We're in the far-off future of the year 2005 and almost completely off-Earth. There are fewer humans, more aliens, and a whole lot more ridiculous space adventures. I know it's not a popular opinion, but it's the one I have. This is the best season of the entire series. This is why I tune into a show about self-aware robots, to see wacky science fiction stories. No more tunneling to the center of the Earth, no more harnessing the power of the tides. We're in space now, and Optimus Prime is still dead. Yay! I should say for the record that this five-part story, the only one the Transformers ever did, is simultaneously the best and the worst that the series has ever produced. In terms of writing, there's some amazing stuff here. We cover a lot of ground, both story and character-wise. We learn huge things about the backstory of the Transformers. In many ways, this story is every bit as epic as the movie. But then there's the animation. Remember ACOM? They're the guys who animated episodes like The Autobot Run and City of Steel. Well, they did this one as well. And it really shows. I can't think of more animation errors being concentrated in a single place than in this next batch of episodes. I mean, some of it is terrible even by this show's standards. So let's bear that in mind, won't we? We open with a huge mistake right off the bat. Mystery Science Theater 3000 said this during Overdrawn at the Memory Bank. Never show a good movie in your bad movie. Seriously, don't show us the final moments of the exceptionally well-animated movie if you're just gonna cut to this crap. It only calls attention to what a mess it is. So this is Char. It's the new home of the Decepticons. See, it's burned out and desolate, which is why it's called Char. I'm just pointing that out in case you missed the relevance of it. That's why I'm here. I'm here to help. The Decepticons are so messed up without proper leadership and so low on Energon that they fight each other over the tiny scraps that Astrotrain brings them. They won't even let him have a taste, and he brought it back for them. Jerks! We get what should be some decent fighting among the Combiners, but... Well, terrible animation. I said already. Hey, most of these guys weren't even in the movie. They shouldn't be in bad shape, they're just greedy. Eventually Cyclonus and the Sweeps show up and make everyone feel guilty and ashamed. Then they decide to be subtle for a minute. Meanwhile, the Autobots are at some kind of ridiculous Galactic Olympics event. Let's do it! Didn't you want to say something about concord and tranquility in the galaxy? Ah, uh, give me a break. Start the games! Yeah, he may have a dumb name, but I kind of like Rodimus. He's just a regular guy who got burdened with this whole command thing. He doesn't come off as this arrogant prick like his predecessor did. And while he's just as inept, the fact that this is like his third day on the job excuses a lot of that. While all this is going on, Perceptor gives an important mission to the two most irritating Autobots on the team. Blur, who always speaks really fast, and Wheelie, who always speaks in rhyme. They've been instructed to bring a transformation cog to Autobot City, and not make us want to shoot ourselves in the brain with a laser in the process. I've seen ahead, and I can't promise that they'll be successful at both of those things. So they're off. At least they didn't send Warpath along with them. He had a brief appearance just prior to this scene, so that was a closer call than you realize. Back at the game, sinister shadowy figures plot against the Autobots, and with a push of a button, they send in some kind of vaguely defined foot soldiers to attack. Not vaguely defined as in disturbingly mysterious, either. They're just badly drawn. When it's all over, Cup, Spike, and Ultra Magnus have gone missing. But while she may now be the grieving widow Witwicky, we do have solid confirmation that Carly did indeed marry Spike. Presumably, as I've mentioned previously, because of his robot exosuit. Rodimus acts decisively and places the planet under quarantine, but Springer and RC just blatantly ignore this and take off in pursuit of the mysterious assailants. Way to support your new leader, jerks! Meanwhile, Cyclonus and the Sweeps are crawling around inside the bloated corpse of Orson Welles, okay, the head of Unicron, same difference, and attempt to calculate the current whereabouts of Galvatron. After watching a quick clip from the movie, once again reminding us what a good Transformers story looks like, they determine where exactly Rodimus tossed him in the battle and head off in that direction. Oh, and here we are back in the Middle East again. 
Only now, well, we've brought things to an entirely new level now. This is the nation of Carbamia. You heard me. And this guy is in charge. Gee, it's hard to understand why Casey Kasem, who was of Libyan descent and did the voices for Cliffjumper and Teletran 1, decided to quit the show. What a crybaby. So the Decepticons hiding in... Carbamia. Hand over the location of Char. And since Rodimus is eager to prove that he's a hands-on kind of leader, he decides to go after the Decepticons himself and find out about his missing guys. And since he isn't a complete idiot either, he brings Grimlock along for protection. Meanwhile, and I know I'm saying meanwhile a lot, but there really is a lot going on here, which is why I like these episodes so much. Meanwhile, Springer and RC chase this creepy little alien down and end up stealing his weird asteroid spaceship thing. The alien is a scuckazoid, and we'll be seeing more of them. They're just as weaselly as their appearance and name would lead you to believe. Back on Char, Cyclonus and the Sweeps take up a collection to go looking for Galvatron, and Rodimus and Grimlock are discovered watching them. To be continued. There's nothing to fear, Unicron is dead. Must be the wind. There is no wind in space. Quiet. 